Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insight podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti, and today I'm joined by Dr. Mark Williams. Now, Mark is a professor in cognitive neuroscience. He has 25 years experience in conducting behavioral and brain imaging research. Um, You've taught an MIT in the US um, and various top universities across Australia as well. Um, And you worked a lot with rethinking the brain. He also runs programs and organizations to improve productivity, innovation, and mental health. Uh, And you have a book coming out next year. Um, the Connected Species. That's right. I just got yeah. a for that, so that's very exciting. Although a lot that's, of work. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's a lot of work that you've done kind of over the space of your career. And now on top of that, to write a book <laughs> is a lot um, for sure. We're going to be chatting about intelligence, specifically the link between intelligence and personality. Um, Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's lovely to have you here. Um, Before we kind of actually talk about, you know, what our episode is about, we have a segment called Get to Know Mark Williams, where we kind of get to know you a little bit um, first. I'm going to throw some questions at you and you don't have to think too hard. Just first thing that comes to your head. Okay. Cool. Um, What is your favorite book? Um, The Families and How to Survive Them by Robin Skinner and John Cleese, I think is... It changed my view of the world, um, and it was a fantastic read, um, which I read back, I think it was back in about 1990 or so. Um, yeah, and it changed the way I saw me and actually changed the way, the way I, I was acting um, in the world, which, which was a huge change. And I think, I think the reason for that is that I was a big fan of John Cleese, um, and he basically is very honest in that about his family life um, and all the struggles he had. So, um, yeah, that made me realise my life was pretty normal compared to his. <laughs> is John Cleese the one in Monty Python or is he the one in Rat Race? I keep forgetting. Yeah, There's no, two British actors that look very similar. Yeah, he's, he's <laughs> Monty Python, yeah, um, yeah and all, the, all those, yeah life, of, yeah, life of Brian and so on. So he was huge when I was growing up and, um, yeah, it really did have a big impact on the way I saw the world, um, which was cool. Although I haven't read it for a long time, so it might not be as good as I remember. <laughs> maybe maybe it's time for a reread. <laughs> yeah, no, it's small, so I could do it pretty easily. <laughs> for sure. Uh, what about your favourite movie? Oh, it'd have to be two. Um, there's Memento, um, which has Guy Pearce as the lead. And I actually went to school with Guy Pearce, who was a year older than me, but that's not why I like it. Um, the reason <laughs> I like it is that... Um, it's, it's an amazing depiction of um, aphasia, so not being, not aphasia, of um, memory issues. Um, and so it actually goes through his life both in reverse order and in normal order, as, and one's in black and white and one's in colour. Um, and he basically he tattoos and, 
writes notes to himself all the time because he can't remember anything from hour to hour. Um, and it's an amazing depiction of that disorder. So I really love that from that point of view. Um, and then I love The Matrix um, and the whole – well, the whole series up until the third one. I don't think the third one was very good. But up until the third one, I, I loved The Matrix because it was a great um, – insight into, I think, the way our brains work. And I always talk about that in neuroscience courses. So, yeah, yeah sorry, like... I'm looking to. <laughs> True is totally fine. I feel like The Matrix is a really, really cool um, required viewing um, if you're a neuroscience student, regardless. Absolutely, yeah. And also Memento. If, you, if you're in, mm -hmm. interested at all uh, about the brain, um, it's a great depiction of, of what happens when the brain you know, is damaged, I think, and an insight into, into that disorder, you know. What about a podcast um, you're currently listening to? Uh, I'd have to say Inspire Change with Gunter. Um, I'm actually writing another book with Gunter, so I'll, say, I'll, I'll put that out there. I'm not on Inspire Change. Oh, I have been on a couple of episodes, but I'm not usually on it. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a great um, podcast. He, he's very insightful, which is why I'm writing the book with him, um, and a great guy. Um, so I've got to say that one. <laughs> For sure. Um, what about a famous role model that you've looked up to? Ah, so I'm going to go with two living ones. I mean, there's lots of dead ones, of course, that I could mention, um, and, which are awesome, but I'm going to go with two living ones because it's. I, I think that's a fairer. One would be Dwayne Johnson, The, the Rock. Um, I yeah. think he's absolutely amazing. Um, the way he's able to cross genders, um, you know, the way he treats his children, or at least the depiction of the way he treats his children, the way he treats people in his past that have helped him out and he still supports them and so on. I think, yeah, he's a really good role model for men. Um, and then the other one has to be Keanu Reeves. I think that the fact that he's so humble, even though he has so much money, I, I think that, that really shows a, a great person, someone who can continue to be humble um, even though they have all that money in their back pocket. Both yeah. icons of the cinema, for sure. Um <laughs> And what about the last course you completed? The last course I completed? Um, when I was at MIT, I actually did, um, I basically, I sat in, I, I wasn't actually doing it officially. I sat in, um, which we call auditing, um, a course which was run by a physicist on um, uh, uh, the physics behind neuroimaging, so the phys physics behind MRIs and the EEGs. Um, because at the time I was trying to become a Siemens um, sequence developer, um, which I did become. Uh, yeah, and that was that was amazing. That was a really cool course to do, to be learning from the best and from the people who were right at the cutting edge of uh, neuroimaging at the time. Um, it was a fantastic course. But, but I wasn't actually doing it. I was auditing it. But it's basically the same thing. If you're sitting in on it, you can still learn a lot from it. Oh, absolutely. I think you'll learn more because you don't have to worry about exams and all those sorts of things. <laughs> you take absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, all right. Now we have gotten to know you, Mark. Uh, we will move on um, to our interview segment um, where we talk a lot more about our topic for today, which is the link between intelligence and personality. Um, but I guess, you know, starting kind of at the very top of what our podcast is about, which is personal development, how would you define personal development? I, I define it very broadly. And being a neuroscientist and, and working a lot, I, I work a lot with schools and businesses. Um, 
And, and my main emphasis is the fact that uh, we now know that our brains are plastic, so our brains are constantly changing. Um, and so everything you do is going to change your brain. And so I see personal development as everything we do. Everything we do actually changes our brain and therefore results in changes in, in what we're going to do tomorrow um, and how we're going to move on. Um, and so, yeah, I see personal development as everything we're doing and everything we're not doing because I think that's one aspect of neuroplasticity that we don't think about a lot, and that is that if, if anything you're not doing is actually going to result in atrophy of your brain. So your brain's going to decrease its ability to do those things that you're not doing constantly. It's just like a muscle, and so you either use it or you lose it. Um, and so, yeah, I think personal development is about everything we do every day because that impacts on what we're going to be able to do tomorrow, um, both positively and negatively. Um, yeah, and I think the, the, I know a lot of people see it much more narrow than that, but I'm a, I'm a big yeah, advocate. Whenever I work with organisations, it's always about the people are more than just what they do in their jobs um, and what they do outside their jobs is going to impact what they can do in their jobs just as much um, as what they're actually doing in their jobs. So we need to see people as holes um, 24 hours a day and how we can do that better. Yeah, so I would say everything. <laughs> Yeah, we're also uh, big advocates for kind of the big picture kind of version of personal development. And I think, you know, what I've learned so far is that you can't really pigeonhole it into any one tight definition. It, you, you kind of have to take everything, a holistic approach almost. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It is such a, yeah, I get frustrated with, with people who think that you can just do one thing, you know, you can download an app and you can do some mind, you know, brain, so-called brain training thing and therefore you're going to get smarter. It's, it just doesn't work that way. Um, it's everything we do and it's who we are. And yeah, so we need to think of personal development much more broadly than we than some people currently do. For sure. What do you feel are the main challenges um, in personal development? <laughs> I think the biggest challenge... Um, for all of us at the moment, is devices. I think um, having a computer in our pocket means that we're not doing anywhere near enough, you know, what we could call personal development or just doing stuff. Um, we spend way too much time on devices, whether it be computers, um, you know, laptops, iPads, phones, um, and we don't spend enough time socialising or doing the things that are actually really important. So I think that's the biggest hurdle we have at the moment and I don't think putting personal development apps on phones is going to remedy that. I think it's going to make it worse um, and it, I think we need to become more aware of that especially for the next generation because we're, we're, we're we, bless you <laughs> well, I have to say that I'll go on we're um, we're giving these devices to kids at younger, younger and ages um, which is a, a terrible experiment that we're doing on these kids. And we don't know what the outcome of it's going to be, but we do know that it's affecting their neural development, their brain development, and we do know that it's affecting their ability to communicate with people. We know it's affecting their ability to empathise with people. Um, and all of these things are 21st century skills that we're going to need, and we're going to need these kids to be able to do this once they become adults. So what's going to happen, I don't know. But, yeah, I think definitely devices are our biggest issue in society overall. For sure, yeah. I think it's very, you know, I get that way sometimes too where sometimes I just need to disconnect from my device if I want to fully like 
focus, especially on myself and kind of like, for example, I'm, I'm a big journaler. So when I'm writing down like my plan for the day, my task for the day, I have to do it like on a notebook. I can't do it on an app or a phone because I feel like it's just impeding me so much. Yeah, big congratulations. It's what we should all be doing. It's what I do constantly. Um, and it's we, we know that you remember more if you write things on paper than if you type. We know you, we, you remember more if you read things on paper than if you read them on a screen. Um, so it's, it's really important to do those things. Plus, we know being on a screen creates stress, right? You can, we get increased cortisol levels when we're on a screen, regardless of what we're actually doing, even if we're doing things that we think we think we're enjoying, um, we get increased stress associated with that. So, you know, we can't relax when we're on the screen. We need to get off the screens and we need to be doing those things. And I think organisations play a big part in that because a lot of organisations will be emailing and a lot of leaders, because I work a lot with a lot of leaders, a lot of leaders will be emailing their employees at, you know, 2 o'clock in the morning, 3 o'clock in the morning and expecting responses or not even expecting responses from them. But what they're doing is they're telling their employees, you should be doing this too. If you want to be at my level, then you've got to do this as well. And I think leaders need to also realise that they're, they're leading and so therefore they need to be getting off their devices and spending time with their families and doing all those important things so that they can be better leaders when they're actually at work. Um, and so their employees are getting off the devices and doing those things. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, kind of before we get distracted with all of that, um, <laughs> back to kind of our topic, how do you define intelligence? Yeah, it's a really hard thing to define. We've been trying to define it for, well, you know, since Aristotle. Um, and, and it's extremely difficult to define. And you can define it really narrowly as somebody, as, you know, the ability to to learn and then use that information to come up with new ideas. Or you can use it really broadly and say somebody who's adaptable, right? Intelligence is, is anybody who's adaptable and can adapt to the environment. And the, the level that you're, you're of your intelligence will change based on the environment that you're in. Some people are going to be seen as really intelligent, you know, if they're out in the wilderness, but not so if they're in a role in banking, for example, or someone who would be seen as really intelligent as uh, CEO of a banking corporation is not going to be very intelligent when they're out in the wilderness and actually trying to survive. So intelligence, I think, and the way I see it, is, is adaptability, is how adaptable you can be in the environment that you're actually living in at that time. That's a really good way of putting it because I feel like intelligence is either, you know, you're really smart um, in terms of, like, academic ability, for example, um, or you know, your ability to be street smart tends to be another thing that people kind of measure. But looking at it as kind of varying, just your ability to adapt to various situations, I feel is a really good way and a much more broad way of kind of looking at it. I think that that's much more inclusive almost. Yeah, and it's, you, I mean, I come from, a, a, you know, academia where we would see year 12 students who, who would get amazing marks when they're at school. So they'd be seen as academically very, very smart. And then they drop out within six months university because they couldn't actually cope because the environment's different and they're expected to do things on their own and they're expected to collaborate and they're expected to do you know, assignments independently and all these things. And all of a sudden they can't do that. And so they need, you know, to be intelligent, you need to be able to adapt to that, to be able to go from a school where you've got teachers telling you what to do and you've got very specific 
guidelines and so on to going to the university where all of a sudden you've got to be very independent and do things on your own. So, you know, I saw that a lot. I saw these kids who were supposedly very intelligent completely bum out because of the fact that they weren't adaptable, right? And so it really made me realise it was, it was more about adaption than, than about just pure knowledge. Right, yeah. I guess my question around that to kind of like expand on that is, is it kind of one measure that you kind of, is, is it a measure of adaptive, sorry, let me rephrase. Is it like one measure of adaptability or do you kind of see it as like multiple different forms of intelligence that you kind of have to move between? Yeah, great question. Um, I mean, we, we know that there are different areas of our brain for um, to store different types of memory. So the information we have is in different areas based on the information that you're actually storing. So, uh, for example, your, your ability to get around in your environment is stored in one area of your brain and then the, the episodes that happen, the things that happen to you is stored into another area of your brain and then your semantic knowledge, the knowledge about the, the things you know, your cups and your sources and your car and all, they're in another part of your brain. So we know that we do store things in different parts of our brain. So from that point of view, yes, intelligence is is different parts, if you like, or different abilities. Um, and I also think that people probably, based on learned experience, are going to adapt to different environments very differently, right? Because somebody who's never ever been in a jungle is going to be very stressed in jungle environment, whereas somebody who grew up in jungle is going to be very stressed probably in New York City, right? So it also depends on, on where the environment in which you've actually lived and, and grown up and learned how to survive. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a combination of, of all of those things, I think. Mm. Now, I guess where does personality fit into this? How does intelligence impact personality and also vice versa? Yeah, again, personality is one of those things that's really hard to define. Mm. No one's really been able to define it well. We don't really understand what it is or whether it's simply a construct that we've generated to make ourselves feel better <laughs> about who we are, right, to actually put, our, put us in, in pigeonholes. We like to um, group things as humans and especially social lives, so we like to group everything within our Socialized. So being able to say, oh, he's an introvert or he's an ex she's an extrovert or she's this or he's that makes life easier for us because everyone's then, it's really easy summaries of what everybody's like. But there isn't any, we, we, we haven't been able to find anywhere in the brain, which is your personality, where your personality actually sits or where it actually holds. And all the research around personality is fairly... Um, shaky <laughs> when it comes to any reliability or, 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 or um, um, a, the, the statistics that they use um, yeah, don't result in anything which could actually be replicable um, and so therefore personality is one of those things I mean that, that's hard to define because we don't have any good evidence that actually really even exists except for our own personal experiences. But, but even our own personal experiences, when you think about it, don't actually fit with what we know. I mean, I, I, I'm very, very shy when I'm in social situations, so I would be classified as an introvert, 
but I love getting in front of an audience of 1,000 people, 2,000, 3,000 people, 3,000 people and, and presenting, and I'm very good at that and I do it all the time. So in that situation, I would be called an extrovert. And a lot of people who know me in my working life think I'm an extrovert and people who know me in my social life know I'm very much an introvert who likes to go surfing by himself and go to a pub with just what's one or two people and not to go to parties and so on. So, you know, I don't, nobody really fits the moulds of the personality criteria and they change based on um, both what you think the person actually, how you think the person wants you to answer. So because they're all questionnaires, you can easily read those things and make yourself look as though you're whatever you want to be if you're intelligent enough to adapt to that situation. Um, and also um, it'll change based on what you're actually doing or why you're doing that personality test. So if you do it um, at home with your kids, you're going to fill it out very differently than if you do it uh, in a, when you're going for a job interview at a bank or whatever. So, you know, personality is very fluid and it changes for us based on our situation and it's adaptable. And so, yeah, again, it's, it's one of those things which can't really be tied down and whether it exists or not at all is, is a big question for me. Right, right. So it almost kind of feels like a high intelligence is just the ability to, I mean, I could be totally wrong here and feel free to just correct me, but it feels like intelligence is the ability to mold your personality based on the situation. Oh, yeah, perfect. I think it very much so. And we, we know those people who are, are really good at um, changing who they are based on the situation they're in. Um, and therefore, I mean, great leaders do that all the time. They're able to talk to, you know, somebody in the street who is suffering and doing all, and all those sorts of things. And then they're able to turn around and talk to, you know, another leader or a CEO or whatever um, in a suit in some fancy restaurant or whatever. And, and so they're able to adapt to all the situations, change their personality based on the situation that they're actually in and be empathic towards both of those groups or any group or any person that they actually run into. You know, you think of, you know, people like Mahatma Gandhi and these great leaders, you know, they could just as easily sit down to dinner with somebody who was a beggar and have dinner as they could with, you know, the President of the United States. So I think absolutely someone who's intelligent is, is able to adapt um, and change their personality and change the way they treat people based on mm. the situation. That's really interesting. Okay, so I guess... You know, we we have been discussing now this idea of intelligence as the ability to adapt. How do you feel like it predict? Do you feel like it's possible to use intelligence to predict someone's educational competency, either like in daily life or education, or is that just not the way it works? Yeah, that's again, it's a good it's a good question. It's an interesting thing to think about. Um, so, to actually learn from anyone, you, you need to actually connect with them first. And so being able to connect with someone is, is the number one criteria for any learning to occur, whether it's a teacher or it's an influencer or it's a leader in, in an organisation or whatever. You've got to have that connection first because if you don't have that connection, um, you don't feel as though you're part of that person's in-group or some people like to call it their tribe, but I don't think that actually captures what it is. But you're not part of their in-group. So when we're not part of someone's in-group, we actually hear what they say as more negative than it actually is um, and we actually don't like them as much. We find them less attractive. 
and we're less likely to actually listen to what they're saying or actually learn from what they're actually saying. So being connected to someone is really the most crucial thing for, um, for learning. And so if you've got a personality which can adapt really easily and therefore people will therefore like you, therefore you're more likely to actually get along well with teachers and so therefore you're more likely to learn from them or, you know, influencers or wherever, whatever else. So, yeah, if you're more adaptable, then, yes, I think you're more able to learn. But you've still got to be able to connect with that person, which, which does usually come down to the fact that you are more adaptable or you just happen to have similar personality to the person you're trying to learn from. So... It's not it's not a given, but I think it does help. It's almost like it's the person who's teaching or influencing that has to be more intelligent and adaptable uh, in order to make someone else's educational competency work. Is that a controversial thing to say? Or? No, I think that's perfect. I think that's one of the things we're missing in schools today. Most schools today and most um, organisations today that, that teach don't focus on the, the teacher. They focus more on the content and they focus on engagement. Um, and so engagement is important for learning, but it's not the crucial aspect to learning. The crucial aspect is that you, first you've got to connect with whoever it actually is, and then you can engage with them. And I think well, you probably don't realise that's why you do it, but to having the, the five questions at the start of the podcast is a way of actually connecting, us connecting first, so then you can actually listen to me and you'll actually learn from me because you've made that can hopefully made that connection with me if I said the right answers that you actually appreciate what I've actually said. Um, and so, and whenever I do teaching with teachers or with uh, with executives and so on, the first thing I do is to have something which which is about me as a person outside of what I'm actually teaching, so that they can connect with me, so that there's that relationship. But also, you know, meeting them and greeting them and shaking hands and doing all those things also to create that connection. But, you, but teachers really need to learn that, regardless of what type of teacher. Um, and, and I don't think we do. I think we focus way too much on engagement and not enough on that, that initial connection to, to resulting learning. Because if you don't get that, you're lost. Mm. Yeah. How can we enhance our intelligence, that adaptability? Mm. Great question. So... Our brains are actually um, set up for socialisation. So we, we as humans, most of our brain is actually there and we have such a big brain to socialise. That's how we became the super species that we are today, is actually being able to socialise and collaborate with each other. Um, and we're, one of, well, we're the only species that, that, that is able to specialise. It specialises independent, independently of everything else. So we can choose what we become. And the only reason we can do that um, is because we have this social brain that allows us to actually communicate with each other and allow other people to do other things and then we do. You know, and we all specialise in different areas. Um, and socialising activates more of the brain than anything else we do. So sitting down and have a coffee with you, with somebody, or you know, going out for a drink or going for a walk and a chat or going to sit on the beach and chatting, that activates more of our brains than anything else we can actually do. And so that is better for our brains and better for our intelligence, better for our adaptability than anything else. Because actually having those social the social communication is, is really, really difficult. There's lots of cues 
that go on. You know, the person has, um, there's a prosody of the person's voice, there's a facial expressions, there's micro expressions that occur, there's body language, there's pheromones that are given off. Um, all of these things, you've got to actually be constantly monitoring and adjusting your conversation and how you're reacting to this person um, when you're having a good conversation with someone. And so all of those things make it mean that you've got to be really adaptable and constantly adapting to what's actually going on. And, of course, the more people you're doing that with, the harder it is and, therefore, the more activation in your brain and the better it is for your brain. So, yeah, the number one, the, the best, also the best, the best um, way to decrease depression is to actually socialise. So uh, socialising is better for us, depression or anxiety than any medication we have today. So socialising is, is so good for your brain, but also for your mental health. So get out there and have a coffee with someone or you know, catch up with someone. Not over the internet, though. It doesn't work over a screen because you don't get all that extra stuff that we get when we're actually face-to-face. -face. So, you know, yeah, have a coffee with someone or get together and, and um, yeah, go for a walk or whatever you want to do. But um, socialise with people and, and, and it really does um, increase your ability to think. Yeah, yeah for sure. For sure. And I think that will resonate with a lot of people who have kind of just come out of lockdown or perhaps have experienced lockdown in the past, which brings me, I guess, to my next question is like, what are the challenges with kind of enhancing that intelligence? I mean, that's one of them, the obvious one. But also earlier you were talking about depression and anxiety. And as someone who has experienced both, I know that it's so hard to get the motivation to socialize with other people when you're in those states. Yeah, it is. And that, I mean, most of the the therapies that we know work like CBT, um, cognitive behavioural therapy, which is one of the few that there's good efficacy for, is all about that. It's all about you've got to challenge your fear of going out and talking to someone by going out and talking to someone. Or, you know, if you're not feeling like exercising, you've got to push yourself and actually start that and do that exercise. And so um, all of that, those therapies are around actually doing that, actually getting out there and... and um, and getting with people and interacting with people. But also those therapies don't work if you don't have a connection with the therapist themselves. So mm -hmm. you know, you've also got to remember that sometimes you won't connect with your therapist. And so if that happens, you should move on and find another therapist because the therapy is never going to work if you don't have a good connection with the therapist to begin with to actually get that to work. Um, but, we, but, yeah, all the research shows that therapy in those cases works really well and then actually getting the person out and socialising um, continues to improve those those things that are happening. But but our biggest problem now is is hybrid learning or not hybrid learning. Well, hybrid learning, yes, sorry, hybrid learning and um, these hybrid work situations where people are working from home um, and they're alone and they're not having those interactions. And it's it's not good for the cohesion within teams, whether it be you know within classes or within teams at work. And it's, it's not good for the mental health of the individuals themselves because of the fact that they're isolated and they're on screens and they're not actually able to have those really important conversations and, and links with people. So if, if you run into business and you have a hybrid situation, make sure that at least once a week or even twice a week you have you know, situations where everybody gets together and actually has those social events um, because it is so, so important. And there's so much research coming out now showing that at least twice a week is really important for businesses to actually get really good 
collaboration and innovation going with and mental health across the, the organization. Yeah, I think a lot of people will definitely resonate with that one because while not having to travel is is great, um, it's also very isolating to have to work from home and not have your co-workers nearby, even just for like a little bit of banter during work, you know, something as simple as that. Yeah, and loneliness kills, right? We know loneliness actually kills people. Um, a, a huge amount of research on the negative impact of being lonely. Um, and you don't even have to not be around people, but if you don't feel as though you're connected to the people you're around, you feel lonely. And, and that has really negative effects on your body, on your heart, on liver, on all sorts of areas and your brain um, and results in earlier death. So we need to be around people because it's the way we've evolved for millions of years and we can't turn that around in two years. So mm. we've got to get back out there. Yeah, for sure. What are kind of some fun habits for like our daily life that we can use to train our intelligence or our adaptability? <laughs> um, yeah, number one, you probably already realise, and I've said it already, but get out there and actually socialise with people is number one. Um, always, for me, is, is the most important thing, just chatting to someone. Um, Writing notes is really important. So using a notepad and actually writing notes is, is, is really, really good for retaining information if you're trying to retain information, especially if you're reading on, on a screen because reading on a screen results in less retention of information. So then if you write notes about whatever you're actually reading, you'll retain that information better and it's working your brain by actually doing that. Um, being... Having um, time to actually read novels is actually also been shown to be really good. So reading books, but it doesn't really matter what it is, but fiction is actually really good because fiction takes us into other people's lives and takes us into other people's um, points of view. And there's quite a bit of research now showing that just by reading fiction, we have more empathy for uh, different um, people from different backgrounds and different races and different sexes as well. So you can get more of an insight into the people around you by just reading fiction books. And so that, again, exercises all these really important parts of your brain um, that are involved in socialisation and allow you to actually understand people, be empathetic with them and therefore be able to connect with them better. So reading fiction is a really important thing as well. Um, but read non-fiction as well because I have a non-fiction book coming out, so that's also important. Don't just <laughs> read both. But make sure it's on paper. Don't buy, yeah. Don't buy things. Don't don't read stuff on the screen if you don't have to, because we get so much more out of the actual reading from paper. Um, there's a visceral experience of actually feeling the paper. There's a smell of the paper. But there's also you re retain more of the information when you do it that way. So the official scientific advice is to read one book, The Connected Species, which is out next year, um, and also any other fiction book of your choice. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Um, now we might move on to our kind of experiment debrief um, where we talk about one habit or practice our viewers and our audience and listeners can employ um, to kind of get started with managing their intelligence and managing their adaptability. What is the practice that you would do to become an intelligent person? So every morning I get up at 6 o'clock. I set my alarm for 6 o'clock because it's before the rest of the family gets up. 
Um, I go and drink one glass of water and then I fill the glass up again while I'm making coffee and then I sit down with that glass of water and drink that second glass of water before I drink the coffee. So I've had two glasses of water before I drink the coffee, but I need the coffee to get me going. I drink the coffee. But then I have a notepad that I go through. Um, I have things written in the front which um, are things that just remind me to to be a good person, I suppose. Um, so some of the things I've written in the front are which wolf are you feeding? So there's a hot, there's a little thing around that we all have two wolves inside us. One's a good wolf, one's a bad wolf, and, you know, you've got to constantly be thinking about which wolf you're actually feeding, which one you're actually looking after. Um, and I read through that. I read through um, some of the things that I've been thinking about, and then I write some notes to myself. So uh, in my form of journaling, um, there's lots of different ways of journaling. Um, but that's my way of journaling, which is just notes on what I'm, I, I want to do, what I want to achieve, um, and I read some of the other stuff that I've read in the past. I do that for about 30 minutes, um, and then by then usually the kids are starting to get up um, and get ready for school. They're teenagers, so life gets chaotic after that. But it gives me half an hour to actually settle and get ready for the day, and I've drunk a cup of coffee, which means that I'm my, my heart's going as well. <laughs> Um, and my head's going, and I'm ready for the day. And it makes a huge difference to my day um, because I get that little bit of time. Uh, and don't, well, I don't touch a device before that 30 minutes is up. Because, mm. of course, mm. you don't want to be doing that. <laughs> of course, of course. I, it's so it's it's like a morning routine of sorts. It's like setting a time. And I really like that, you know, drinking two glasses of water instantly. Like that's a really good way of going about it. Yeah, I, I, I just think it, it helps me, well, it helps my body just to, to um, clear itself a little bit after that day before and the night's sleep. Um, it, 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 breakfast, I don't tend to eat breakfast until about 11 o'clock, so um, it's a way of just keeping everything, yeah, keeping going. Um, I do drink coffee, though, which I know is not great, but, you know, everyone's got their vices. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but I think the water is really good for us. For sure, for sure. What are three good things about um, this morning routine that you set up for yourself? Three good things. One is it's it's early, so there's nothing around um, to, to distract me. So it's just my time. I don't get a lot of my time with teenagers and with work and running my own business now um, and writing and everything else that goes on. Um, so it is, it's it's 30 minutes, which is just me time, which I, I like. Um, it's also 30 minutes for me to reflect on, A, what's, what's happened in the past and what I want to achieve in the future, where I'm going, um, and so therefore what I'm going to achieve that day. Um, we don't, we don't, end up making big strides in our life if we don't first make those little, little, little tiny changes. And, and so it's just a chance to remember that I've just got to keep going, keep walking, you know. What's that saying? Yeah, but, um, a journey of a 1,000 miles starts with the first step or whatever it is. I, I think it's that. It's that reminder that, you know, that today I've just got to do what I need to do today and there's not going to be any huge big bangs today, but... It, it will end up in a big bang sometimes. 
Yeah, incremental steps. I don't know why you were going to say um, just keep swimming <laughs> from Finding Nemo. For some reason, that was the first thing that came to my head. I should um, have. I should have. That would have one. Are there any challenges that you found um, in this practice? Yeah, the getting up at 6 o'clock. I must admit I'm not an early morning person, which is why I need my coffee. Um, so, you know, I set the alarm and I just get up. I um, I am I'm a big fan of habits and teaching yourself that you just need to do things. And so my view is rather than I've got to get up because I've got all this stuff to do, I just go I've just got to get up and drink a glass of water. So I get up and drink a glass of water, and then I go okay now I'm going to make coffee, and then I make my coffee and drink another glass of water, and now I'm going to sit down and look at my journal and I do that. And so it's all about those incremental things. It's about the little steps. Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely the getting up that's not good for me. I'm definitely a night person, or I used to be. Now that I get up regularly at 6 o'clock, I'm not so much a night person, um, but I'd like to be, but <laughs> I'm not. But it would be time. great if we could go the entire day without sleeping um, and didn't have to do any of that. Um, yeah. But unfortunately, it is a human necessity. <laughs> that is, that is. <laughs> Um, now, obviously, this is something that you practice every morning. If, you know, a listener or a member of our audience wanted to employ this, would you recommend the exact same routine for everyone? Is it always a 6 a.m. wake up time? Is it always kind of the two waters and the coffee and the notebook? So the coffee's optional. Um, that's just because I'm addicted to coffee. Um, you can do, you know, you like tea, drink tea if you like something else. Um, probably don't go with Coca-Cola or anything like that. I'm not sure that'd be great that time of the morning. Um, the two waters I think are essential. Um, the notebook I think is essential and journaling I think is essential. I think those things are really awesome. The time I don't think matters. It's just, you know, 30 minutes of time that you're going to have to yourself. Um, so if you live alone, you could do it whenever you want um, as long as you do it regularly um, and as long as you do it the first thing in the morning. So, you know, I mean, if you are... I have a very good friend who, who's um, a professor over in the UK uh, and he, he works nights. <laughs> he's, he's one of those crazy people who he doesn't get to work till 2 p.m. and he usually works till 2 a.m. Um, that's just his routine. And so, he, you know, he's not going to get up at 6 a.m. He's going to get up at, at 2 um, p.m. and do it then rather than doing it at 6 a.m. So the time doesn't matter just as long as it's the first thing you do in the morning. Um, and just as long as it's you've got the time to yourself whenever you yeah, can capture that. So work out when everyone else in the house gets up and go 30 minutes before. <laughs> so it's about having that time to yourself, essentially. It is, it is, yeah. Yeah, so my son gets up at 6.30 every morning on, like clockwork. It's just he always has. So that's why my thing had to be 6 o'clock. <laughs> For sure. Um, how do you how do you kind of make the time to kind of do this every morning? Because you mentioned, you know, you're not a morning person um, mm -hmm. and you've just been trying to form a habit of being a morning person. How did you set that up for yourself? Do you sleep earlier? Did you do it all at once? Did you do it incrementally? Yeah, I, I fell off the wagon quite a few times, um, especially weekends. It was like a Sunday. This is, um, but every time I did that, I then found it harder to come back and do it on the Monday when I didn't do it on the Sunday. Um, it did take a, a while to, to, for it to become 
automatic. Now the alarm goes off and I get straight up straight away. But it did take quite a while for that to happen, especially because I was a night person. Um, but now it just means I'm going to bed at 9.30, 10 o'clock now rather than going to bed at 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock. Um, so, yeah, I, I was probably t- Yeah, I was tired um, for a little while. Um, and but, but I just started falling asleep earlier. Um, your body gets into a rhythm. And, and all the sleep research shows that it's not about what time you go to bed, it's what time you get up in the morning. And then you should get up at exactly the same time every morning um, and whatever that time happens to be. And then your body will actually sink to that and then you'll fall asleep at night at the same time. So getting up whatever time it is, you should be doing it at the same time every day, whether it's, you know, during the week or the weekend. And sleeping in the well, on, in on the weekend actually has a negative impact on your sleep during the week. So um, it's it's better for you than the way I was doing it before. Um, but, yeah, it did take a while, and I did fall off the wagon a few times. Uh, but I'm pretty pretty good now. Mm, for sure. Um, do you How do you feel that this kind of morning routine of yours, how has it impacted your personality um, and, well, not personality per se, but your in, intelligence and adaptability and your perception in life in general? Yeah, I'm a lot more productive now. Um, before it, I would have periods where I wouldn't sleep very well um, and I'd be stressed about stuff and I'd wake up and, you know, toss and turn and all the rest. And then when that happened, then I'd sleep in or um, be frustrated. Um, whereas I don't do that anywhere near as much now because of it, it, my sleep is much more routine now and so my body just knows that 10 o'clock I'm going to fall asleep because at 6 o'clock I'm going to get up. And so, and all the sleep research shows that that works after a while, once you get into that routine. Um, and so that's much more positive much more positive for me for actually getting stuff done and being able to concentrate. And I'm actually a lot more motivated because I think I have that period of time when I'm not stressed than when I actually do get into work when I do sit down and start doing things. I've already had time to relax. So then I don't feel, yeah, as stressed. I feel much more motivated to actually get stuff done. I am much more productive around it. Um, but then I have a whole bunch of things that I do to stay productive. So that actually helps too. But yeah, those are Well, it's about, oh, sorry. It's about, it's about employing multiple methods kind of to help with all of that. And um, this is just kind of one very significant one to start your day with. Absolutely. Yeah, no, there are huge, yeah. There's lots of distraction out there, and so we do have to control all that distraction to get stuff done. But this is, I think, a great way to actually be more positive and get more done. <laughs> For sure. And speaking of, like, I guess, having multiple ways of improving productivity, intelligence, etc., um, do you have kind of a recommendation of another habit or a practice to be combined uh, with the morning routine? Yeah, I, I, I dozens, but... um. The number one would be, um, it's called the Pomodoro Technique. Um, it's, was, it's called Pomodoro Technique because it was designed by a couple of Italian researchers many years ago, and they used uh, tomato timers um, to, to, to do the, the experiments, and that's why it's Pomodoro. Um, but it is, you set a timer for 25 minutes, and you have the timer somewhere where you can actually see the timer so you can see the countdown. And then you focus on just one thing for that 25 minutes. You're not allowed to do anything else. And you've got to have everything else turned off. So you can't answer your phone and you can't 
check your email and so on. So for 25 minutes, you're focusing on one thing and getting one thing done. And as soon as the timer goes off, you stop and you stand up and you do something physical such as do squats or you know, star jumps or dance or whatever you feel like doing, whatever you know, motivates you. And then after five minutes of that break, you sit down at where you're just doing something physical. You then sit down and start again. And then you do that four times, which is two hours, and then you can have a longer break. Um, and it's been shown to be the most productive way to actually get stuff done. Um, and it's, it's been researched for uh, 40, 45 years now. Um, and, and, yeah, it's been shown to be more productive than any other method. Um, there's a couple of things that you've got you to watch. One is you've got to be able to see the timer because then you can actually see how much time you've got left. So, if, you know, you're getting distracted or whatever, you can look at it and go, I've only got five minutes left, I'll concentrate for a bit longer. The other thing is you've got to stop at the 25-minute mark because if you stop at the 25-minute mark when you're in the middle of something, then when you do the physical work, then when you actually get back to start again, you'll start straight away because you stopped in the middle of something, so you'll keep going from where you were. Plus, whatever you were doing will have been um, processed in your long-term memory, which you have no conscious access to, but it's back there and it actually does all our innovative work. So innovation and creativity doesn't happen in our consciousness. It actually happens in our long-term memory, um, which we don't have access to. So then when you sit down again, you'll actually have more ideas than you had before the 25, before that break, before the five-minute break. So you actually have more ideas and you're more innovative and you're more creative if you do it that way, um, which is really cool, yeah. But um, that's a great way to be product productive. Um, and there's also there's a whole bunch of apps you can download for the Pomodoro technique, which it'll actually show you how much time you've got left. Um, and for teachers and stuff, it'll actually then, if, if you're in a primary school, it'll tell you what to get the kids to do. If you're in a primary school and you're doing it with primary school kids, it'll tell them to do different things or if you're an adult it'll tell you what to do during the break so that you know it'll say do plank for five minutes or whatever um depending on your fitness level <laughs> um yeah so it's a great way to actually be productive and get stuff done but yeah, yeah it's a you... big thing with um innovation and creativity a lot of people think innovation and creativity comes from you know doing things like brainstorming and so on and it actually doesn't it can't actually occur if you do things like brainstorming sessions that there's other way there's important ways to be innovative and creative and it's not the way we actually usually do it in businesses mm, yeah i think that's pretty interesting um especially like i feel like that 25 minute kind of timer matches alongside you know your half an hour in the morning it's, it's a very similar timing to that as well so structuring everything in almost half an hour blocks that makes a lot of a lot of sense and it kind of helps you space out your day a lot better as well yeah and a lot of people now and i try try to now um have 35 minute meetings as well because if you're having a meeting for any longer than 35 minutes most of it's just waste of time so you actually structure all your meetings around the 30 minute mark or 25 minutes so you've got a five minute to, to switch over um and again you'll get stuff done and you'll actually go through the important stuff that you need to do without having a lot of extra you know wasted time at the end of it where you're both tired and bored because our brains can only really concentrate for about 25 minutes on really deep thinking so whether it's a meeting with someone or an important meeting with someone or whether it's trying to be productive and get stuff done um, that 25 minutes is, is about the max that we should be doing at any one time before we do some reset. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, 
So I guess morning routine and the Pomodoro technique, both very great um, kind of practices for a you to employ and our, our audience and our viewers as well. Um, I might now move on to kind of our open mic section um, where you can talk um, about whatever you want for a few minutes, essentially. I'm assuming that you're going to want to promote your book. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I do have a book coming out in 2023 um, called The Connected Species. Um, it's all on a lot of the stuff we've been talking about and more, um, but it's it's basically about the fact that we have evolved um, as a social species and the reason we have such large brains is because we started collaborating in bigger groups and greater groups and that's how we've actually become this super species that's taken over the world. Um, but now with things like devices, um, we're actually not, collaborating and we're not connecting the way we need to, which is causing a whole bunch of problems, both mental um, health issues and physical health issues and problems with um, uh, um, connection and so on. So it's around all those ideas, but also how we can improve it um, and uh, a lot of answers to the issues that we're having at the moment, which is important. And I think we need to start thinking about the answers to the issues we've got rather than simply be going, oh, this is the new normal. Um, because it can't be the new normal because we're going to be all completely, I won't say a rude word, but we're not going to be in a good spot in 10, 15, 20 years' time if we continue the way we're continuing at the moment. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm on. It's also um, based on a lot of the stuff. That, uh, Todd Sampson has a documentary coming out here in, on Channel 10, which will be on... Um, Paramount as well, so it'll probably go national, I mean international. Um, it's called Mirror Mirror, um, uh, um, um, Hate and Love or Love and Hate, um, which I, I'm on that a lot of that documentary. I did a lot of stuff with, with Todd. Um, and, again, it's on a lot of these issues and we need to change what we're doing um, because it's not great where we're headed. Um but we don't need to be heading in this direction. We just need to make a few tweaks to society and the way we're doing things. Um, so, yeah, that, that's the main thing. The book's about, so you should buy it. I think it's awesome. <laughs> um, um, but it's about it's about the answers rather than the problems. Um, but it's also about understanding our brains better um, and how we can be more intelligent, how we can be more creative and productive and how we can actually all get along better. Yeah, for sure. Is it available for pre-order now? Like how can people find more info on it? Yeah, not yet. It's, 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 I've signed the contracts and then at the moment they're working on um, the cover art for it. As soon as the cover art's been okay by me, um, it will then be available. So it should be available very soon. Um, you can, um, if you go to my website, you can just sign up for my newsletter and I'll be announcing when it actually comes up based on on the newsletter. So I have a newsletter called um, Connected, which is just about, you know, what's going on and I have little tidbits and so on and, and book reviews and so on. So if people are interested, they could just sign up to the newsletter and I'll definitely be keeping everyone informed as to when there'll be pre-orders available, which should be soon in the next couple of months. Sure. Okay. And where can people find you and your website and your newsletter? Uh, yeah, so it's... Uh, drmarkwilliams.com, nice and easy. Um, so drmarkwilliams.com, 
uh, the you can just sign up to the newsletter there. It's got a little tag there to, to sign up. Um, or you can get me on LinkedIn again at drmarkwilliams.com. Uh, no, yeah, drmarkwilliams if you just Google. If you are, yeah, search that. But the, the, the easiest place is, yeah, the website, drmarkwilliams.com. We or should have a link. If you want to get, <laughs> get me, uh, if you've got questions, Dr. Mark, sorry, Dr. Mark at drmarkwilliams.com if you want to email me um, and ask me any questions. For sure. We'll put um, the links to your LinkedIn, your website, and all of that in the show notes as well. So our viewers can find you and learn more about all of that. Um, but Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. I've had such a great time and I've learned so much. Thank you for having me. It's been really good and it's been great questions. have made me think, <laughs> which is awesome. <laughs> for sure. Those are always the best types. Thank you again. <laughs> thank you. You've been listening to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel, as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.